when I met Joanna and I finished my uh, doctoral studies, I was like, okay, I have this strong responsibility, sense of duty to at least offer some of what I've been working on in Mexico and Latin America. So I did. And it was primarily um, in communities of uh, permaculture and grassroots agriculture and, and social change that were open to this. And until I developed this 10-day offering based on, on Joanna's, I invited her to come to Mexico to do one of those. And she was like, hmm, no, you do it. So I, I took that to heart. That's Adrián Villasenor Galarza, longtime facilitator of the work that reconnects in Spanish and in English in North, Central, and South America. And one of the people I am just so glad to know is out there enacting the great turning in the way that he is moved to do. Perhaps you will hear, as I feel that I do, in the way Adrián speaks that he is, as he calls it, a practitioner of contemplative disciplines someone who has a yearning for personal transformation and socio-ecological viability. And I appreciate that word, viability, as an alternative to sustainability and as a complement to a life-sustaining society. I also love how he describes the lineages he honors as being of beauty, wisdom, and compassion. And these include teachings of Native Americans, Central and South American plant, shamanism, and ritual, as well as Tibetan Buddhism and yoga, and Taoism. To give you a few highlights of what you're about to hear, and this conversation was especially nourishing to my heart and mind, Adrian brings up the work that reconnects as a kind of truth-speaking work, and how energy that was busy keeping the truth repressed and suppressed gets liberated through this process and becomes available again. I share with him how I see that on an individual level as well through the Chinese medicine understanding of the human being, where stagnation is a major cause of disease and the emotional is inseparable from the physical. And so I look at telling the truth to ourselves, meaning admitting to ourselves what we're really feeling, as a way to release the stagnation we've created by hiding it or putting a lid on it. Adrian also brings up uncertainty as something to love about life. And I have to say that is such a powerful medicine for me too right now, that radical uncertainty that abstains from believing that we know whether or not this is all going to work out or what that would even mean. We talk about the role of trust in life in parenting and in facilitating, about his experience bringing the work that reconnects to Mexico and to Central and South America, working with ritual, and the possibility of decentering human ingenuity and human thinking in addressing the crises going on right now and opening up to the creativity and wisdom of the more than human world. I also want to name for you the stages of the spiral of the work that reconnects before you listen for anyone who's not familiar with those because we do refer to these four stages without really explaining them during the conversation. The first is gratitude, where we root ourselves and resource ourselves in our love for life and all that is already enough and more than enough. And the second is honoring our pain for the world, where we 
look at the truth together of our grief, anger, fear, numbness, and appreciate these emotional responses as a part of the feedback that the system of life on earth gives itself about how things are going through the human heart, the feedback that comes through our emotions. The third stage is seeing with new and ancient eyes, or deep time work, where we reweave ourselves in, where we expand our sense of identity to include past and future generations and all of life that is living on earth with us at this time. And the fourth, the final stage, is going forth, where we look at now what? How do I want to move forward now? So you can have those four stages in mind, gratitude, honoring our pain, seeing with new and ancient eyes, and then going forth during this conversation, especially when Adrian shares a powerful experience he had during one 10-day program. All right, here we go. Enjoy. You're listening to Turning Season Podcast. I'm your host, Leilani Navar here with your dedicated dose of active hope. I'm delighted to bring you these conversations with the inspired individuals who are collectively shifting us to a life-sustaining society. You'll hear from all kinds of healers and change makers playing their unique part in the great turning. From healing personal trauma to visionary thinking, decolonization to building composting toilets, New innovations to bridging social divides, there are thousands of reasons and ways to participate. Keep listening to find out more of what's being done already and what's possible. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening and come to turningseason.com to connect. My guest today is Adrian Villasenor Galarza. He is passionate about human transformation in service of the living earth. Adrian is an academic collaborator, international facilitator, ritualist, author, and contemplative practitioner whose work weaves together the psycho-spiritual study of the earth-human relation, animist principles, and contemplative wisdom. His research has centered on the confluence of Eastern liberation teachings and eco-psychology, resulting in an elemental framework for self-discovery, healing, and regenerative action. Adrian has been engaged in transformative education for the last 15 years, and his work is often considered a Latin American referent when it comes to nature reconnection, eco-psychologies, and earth-based spirituality. Adrian has authored a few of his own books and also is the translator into Spanish of Joanna Macy's Coming Back to Life, the updated guide to the work that reconnects. I met Adrian because he is also a contributor to the recent anthology, A Wild Love for the World, Joanna Macy and the Work of Our Time. I'm very excited to get to speak with you today, Adrian. Welcome, and thank you so much for joining me. Hey, thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. I'd love to start by asking you a very familiar question, which is how you would finish these open sentences from the work that reconnects. Uh-huh. And the first one is, uh, some things I love about being alive on Earth are... <sighs> Yeah, it's always a good one. 
um, you know, uncertainty, although it may sound weird, it's something that I, that I love because it, it more and more it kind of like reminds me or brings to my attention the um, creative possibilities, you know, like open-ended sort of interactions and innovation and um, just be with myself and with each other and with the world in, in a way that maybe it wasn't available before. So kind of something I love is uh, the possibility of reinvent, reinventing myself, I guess, in, in relation to the world and, and the possibilities that that can bring because um, things, some things are not going that great. And so with that in mind, it, it, it brings me some hope and um, I love it when I surprise myself and uh, I can uh, just, you know, bring to the surface another aspect of who I am. Um, so th th that's something I love about being alive today. That's wonderful. I love that. Thank you. And how about when I look around at what's happening in the world, what breaks my heart is? Uh, yeah. What breaks my heart um, these days is... Uh, a good number of things, but to choose one is when I look into um, my daughter's eyes and um, they remind me of what's to come or what's potentially coming in terms of the devastation of the earth and um, say water availability and just so many things around that are dysfunctional in my point of view. So <clears throat> that's something that is an everyday heartbreaking uh, situation for me because it's it goes way up there with the love that I have for my daughter in life and also that love kind of reminds me or, or yeah brings to my really open eyes how critical things may be and how some things that we've considered kind of essential for life and a continuous presence might be disrupted and, and even for my daughter might be just so different her experience in the world. So that is, uh, that pain is something real for me, like very real because I'm a recent dad. So um, it's a new dimension of, of this heartbreaking that I've been experiencing as of late. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I hear you. I I'm familiar with my version of that heartbreak and see it in so many of my friends who are parents. And I wasn't planning to ask you this, but now I'm, I just want to know, because I think it's so helpful for us all to hear from each other as parents. I know your daughter is fairly young, but as someone who's been connected to Joanna Macy's way of describing what we're going through in humanity being so connected with the work that reconnects through your your own facilitation and translation how are you relating to preparing our children for these times yeah yeah that's such a uh, a live question for me i think i, I grapple with that every day <clears throat> i don't think i know a, a good number of times throughout the day and uh, the um I guess what's behind that question for me is trust, a question about trust and, and a negotiation around 
me saying yes to life in the way that it is. Um, not to kind of like defeat myself or make myself little and not, or not stand up for what I believe, but there's a, there's kind of like a urgent need around that question for me to kind of make peace with life. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, kind of because when I say yes to that, when I, like, I guess radically, you know, acknowledge that and accept it, something within me kind of settles because it's, these things are big, the biggest life. And, and it's also in my point of view, <clears throat> I guess naive, a little naive for me to assume that I'll, that I'm going to change everything, something like that. And these are bigger powers. And, and so I remind myself that uh, some of the best things I, can do with take refuge in in this bigger powers in their own intelligence and the earth herself primarily <clears throat> and how um i may not understand how things go and how complexly interconnected things are but i can i do have the capacity to kind of surrender um although it feels like a dismemberment and, and <laughs> potential destruction of me at times when I negotiate my way into it I'm able to rest in something uh, deeper than me and uh, or that maybe even that deeper thing flows through me I that would be my um, my goal I guess in terms of parenting so that deeper presence that we can call the living earth can hopefully flow through me um, and um, pass that along to my daughter that's something that I, yeah, I, I try to do. I don't know if that made sense. Yeah, it does. And I feel similarly, I think that there's not, uh, that the concrete understanding or skills or things we might want for our children is less, well, it's less predictable. Like you spoke to uncertainty. We don't know exactly what they're going to need, but that kind of connection and presence if we can foster that in them as we do in ourselves and trust that that's what will serve us all of us who are alive on earth i don't know if that's close to what you were saying but yeah that's yeah yeah i, I think that's kind of like my own logic because i i can go through the list of pinning down the main things that someone some of us would need in terms of uh, better or survival you know in terms of i don't know for example like growing food and and uh find your way in the, in the landscape or whatnot but then i go like well that yes i i gonna try and do that too but for me it's more important uh or more essential in a way to tap into that awareness of uh that even at their young age can take refuge and rely upon the earth and to kind of find their way rooted on that realization the way that they need to because they also come with their own thing going with their own personality and yeah their own gifts and uh sometimes it's not that smart for me to assume that i have those gifts pinned down um so yeah it's an ongoing meditation i assume for a lot of us yeah, indeed. Ongoing, staying, staying open. Mm -hmm. 
So I also want to ask you about, I, I often ask guests about the three stories of our time. And I know that you are participating in the great turning story. So I want to take that question with you one step further and, and ask right now in your life, you could also speak to what you've done in the past within the great turning, looking at those three dimensions, the holding actions to slow or stop damage and the generating of life-sustaining systems like new structures and also the shift in consciousness that we need to sustain the, the new ways of doing things. Where do you find yourself in those three dimensions? Yeah, great. That's uh, <clears throat> I found that in the three dimensions of the great turning that you just named have been so helpful. Um, kind of like an inner compass to help me navigate my life, you know. And and um, so, um, so I met when I met Joanna in person. That was in. Um, 2009, beginning of 2009, but I knew about the work maybe from a few years back, like 2004 and five, when I was studying over in England. And, and so I've always felt this uh, natural pull toward uh, the third dimension, um, the shift in consciousness one, and also the second one. So what I, uh, soon after I met Joanna in a class, um, she invited me to translate the manual for the work, the Coming Back to Life book. Um, and so I did. And it was such an uh, amazing experience. And um, ever since, the work that reconnects really helped me to um, ground my intentions and my inspirations in a way that um, to share it in groups and to share our passion together and learn from each other. So for me personally, it allowed me to uh, express more fully who I am. That's, that's one of like the biggest gifts for me in, in terms of the three dimensions that, that meant for me that uh, I was able or I'm able to more and more come out of the closet in terms of my own little participation in the, primarily in the, two latter dimensions and um, creating alternative structures for education and viability here. And also, uh, I guess, yeah, the core of my passion is the shifts in consciousness. How, how can we facilitate that within ourselves and in our relations? So um, can I, I can experience that as a deep transformation, but not only as a theory or as a fancy and helpful and beautiful idea, but actually to embody that. What does it mean to integrate that? How does it look in myself? How does it look uh, in others? And so that has been my kind of like my task ever since. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that you brought some work that reconnects workshops to permaculture groups in Mexico. Is that right? That was some of the first. Right, right. True. Exactly. So when I, the little story, when I met Joanna and I finished my uh, doctoral studies after that, which the work three connects with was uh, the core of that, like especially the pain for the world. Um, 
So I finished and I was like, okay, I have this uh, strong responsibility, sense of duty to return uh, or to at least offer some of what I've been working on in Mexico and Latin America. So I did. And it was primarily um, in communities of uh, permaculture and uh, grassroots agriculture and, and social change that were open to this. And, and I started doing uh, weekend stuff, multi-day stuff, um, until I uh, developed this 10-day offering based on, on Joanna's uh, what she would call intensives. I asked her, like, I invited her to come in one of the intensives here in California uh, to Mexico to do one of those. And she was like, mm, no, you do it. <laughs> so I, I took that to heart. And, um, and so I've been doing that for the last handful of years in, in a few countries, and especially in Mexico, but also in Chile and Brazil. And, um, they're so amazing. Yeah, so it, it, it grew kind of, it's kind of a second wave of um, deep ecology interest in Mexico and different places. The first one would have been probably in 70s, 80s, 80s more likely. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I guess I'm part of this uh, second wave, I would call it, of interest. Um, so it's been, yeah, very rewarding and people really resonate with the proposal. Yeah. That's wonderful. I wonder if there's any more you could share. There are people listening to this podcast from around the world, but the vast majority right now are in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And you open this question in your, your essay in A Wild Love for the World about can the work that reconnects serve in the global south, although it was developed in North America. And I'm hearing that the answer has been yes, um, but also that that there's been a lot of reflection for you on on the differences between North and South and the relationship between. And so I'd love to hear more about that in in your experience doing these intensives in Latin America. I think you've mentioned doing some where you have had participants from North America and South America, Central America in the same yeah. room mm -hmm. and. I can ask a more specific question, but I just want to open it up first to see if there's any reflections you could let us know about that. Yeah, for sure. It's been such a, an enriching um, experience to, to gather people from the three Americas and engage in a conversation, sometimes not as explicit as we're doing now, but just doing the work and doing the practices and connecting with the earth and connecting with each other and invariably, some of these issues, difficulties arise. And so, in particularly in, in, um, in places like uh, Central and South America and the Global South, I, my experience has informed me that, um, you know, we don't need to think and see that hard to realize how uh, abusive the relation has been with these places. Uh, in terms of the relation between the global north and the global south. And so that abuse toward the land, toward the non-human peoples and human communities, um, I can I envision it and I experience it myself too, as a, a kind of like a 
reservoir of pent-up energy mm-hmm. and repressed energy. And so um, because of, yeah, colonialism, you, you name it, like there's so many things there ongoing. And so when, when we do the work that reconnects and related practices, what I've found is that uh, that pent-up universe of energy that is there sometimes just opens up. Sometimes uh, we find an, a way, an opening, and there's an amazing release of um, inspiration, of energy, of, of courageous intention and out of life that my own theory around it and of others is that everyone in terms of the earth community, <clears throat> it's in need, in dire need of that energy that is pent up there. So uh, by doing this type of work that we could also call like truth speaking work, um, that eco-psychic energy, as I sometimes refer to it, it kind of like finds its way back into, into the atmosphere, so to speak, or the earth. And so it's available again to, um, to find our way. So I, that I found invaluable, really, you know, that I've, I've experienced that within myself and in the groups. And it's something that maybe, uh, maybe exaggerating, I don't know, but I do believe that it helps everybody. Like mm-hmm. it truly does create this oxygen, as we say in the work. And so life itself can use that for its own benefit. Absolutely. I, I feel like I experienced that on both the personal level and then also in community when there's not truth speaking or not it you know within ourselves just even truth acknowledging there's so much energy that can't move and so we can't experience the full expansion and contraction of breathing and of existing you know of going through the cycle of our of our thoughts and and if we can't express these harder truths then the energy that would be available like you said, for, for inspiration and for courageous action is also, there's a a cap on it or, or a blockage. So I wonder if you, I don't know if you have any examples that come to mind, but I would love to hear any examples of these kinds of inspirations or actions that you're seeing. And they don't even have to come directly out of, you know, a truth speaking or a work that reconnects, but what kinds of things you're seeing that are exciting to you as people get more connected with their inspiration to, to do things on behalf of life. Yeah. Um, let's see. A story came, comes to mind um, right now about, uh, yeah, one of the participants in one of the uh, immersions down in South America that, uh, uh, within our, the course of our time together, it was kind of like a dramatic, tr- truly dramatic transformation from having a, um, kind of suicidal tendencies um, all the way to an amazing spiritual awakening that took place like it's no it's no exaggeration it it truly was something that stuck with me because um the person in question was having a tough time 
during our time, yeah, during our exercises, and but they were there. They were just you no. Know, they didn't let go in a good way, and um, and I I often do kind of like one on one sessions when time allows with uh, whomever is interested. And so the stories that I had at the one on one session with this person um, for the first days of our time together, and for some reason it got changed until the end, until the last few days. So that allowed for his, for the experience of the person to kind of like unfold at its own accord. And uh, after we did the um, sort of like connecting directly to wild nature there and be by ourselves for, you know, a few hours and, and emerge out of the spiral of the pain stage, we finally met on one on one on one time there for you know a little bit and um then he shared his experience with me and so it was amazingly affirming of the work itself for me because mm -hmm. because i was aware of what the person was going through i i it was an exercise of also me trusting in the in the spiral so to speak Mm -hmm. of the work and uh to uh, of course you know there's appropriate containment and the necessary you know measures there but I, still there was a active exercise for my end to trust in life and to trust in the design of the work and the work itself and whenever we finally connected and one-on-one -on -one, like i'm saying he was also deeply transformative for me because mm -hmm. then he's the voice of the person was completely different from the previous days they were speaking from a place of like rootedness and and it was more like curiosity now it's like now what do i do with this opening basically with the spiritual opening wow and i was like well i probably smart to trust in it and, mm -hmm. and you know take it easy and stabilize that and anyway i could go more into detail but that's that's one of the examples that truly made me go like wow this thing works yeah mm. yeah that's amazing and there there comes the trust again because yes. just like we we're talking about with parenting you know we we feel like maybe we should be there for the the one-on-one -on -one session or making sure certain things are taken care of but trusting in the way life is moving through this person and the process is moving through them. Exactly. Because then I thought to myself, well, if I had intervened before, maybe the person wouldn't have had the opening that they had at the end. Yeah. So yeah. that ends the trust. Then it's like, okay, but not to be reckless either. So it was, it was a beautiful experience, I think, for at least the, the two of us. Yeah. It's beautiful to hear about it. Yeah. I'm noticing as you, as you tell this story that I've had some really different experiences with people who are maybe more in a, a place of despair or not being sure, maybe not all the way to despair, but not being sure if they can do anything and if so, what they would do which has felt really different than working with people who are extremely motivated on fire for their 
activism or their campaign or their project, but maybe dealing with some burnout or feeling overdriven or like maybe it will never be enough. They're doing everything they can, but it won't be enough. I'm curious for you, if you, cause I know you've gone and done these workshops in different countries and with different groups of people, some already devoted to, let's say a permaculture project. And if you've, if you've had experiences working with people who are more already sort of in the going forth place, really driven to accomplish something and what that's been like for bringing them more through the spiral and honoring our pain. Yes. Yes. That's a, a great question. I've, I think I've had limited experience um, throughout the the wide variety of communities, from like very skeptical people that um, that didn't they didn't even know why they came to the offering, mm-hmm. to all the way to super active, uh, inspired people um, that devote their lives to change making and transformation and they're burned out or they want to learn another tool and so with those people that have kind of like this kind of consciousness of there's this amazing transformation taking place at a cultural level that requires our efforts and then yeah radical change for a lot of us and they're coming from that place um I've found that the work that reconnects provides, helps them as it did to me, helps them ground and uh, fertile soil, so to speak. So their anxieties about like, oh, this is not enough. This thing, the more that I do is just not working because it's so huge, the challenges that we have ahead of us. I find that the work that reconnects, um, like basically I, I do the, exercises in everything that I do and offer even if I don't call it that way because I've found that it's just so helpful to um, bring a more humane more down-to-earth approach to whatever uh, whatever is that we're doing to find a a common ground a shared humanity or shared human experience that we can join with that we're not so strange from each other you know that we're not so different as it may seem. So with these people that are like in the going forward phase and how to basically another way to express that would be to how to integrate these things and these awakenings and how to offer these awakenings and service of life in a way that is meaningful and impactful in our communities. And one of the main medicines that I see there from the work that reconnects is that one person cannot do it all and cannot do it alone. <clears throat> so if we kind of find our way or negotiate our way between those two things, I think we're, we're pretty okay because um, it's amazing how much self-loathing and so much kind of like lack of compassion or self-compassion rises in this um, population. Because mm-hmm. we often strive, and, and that's striving. It's beautiful. And it's also sometimes it kind of like points at something deeper of a, a self, 
acceptance truth or something that it's kind of like, well, things are okay as they are. And also that doesn't prevent me from doing my best to like steer the situation in a more beautiful way. That, that tension, if we can find our way through it or with it or grapple with it in a less violent way, I think we have a better chance. And I think the work that reconnects can really help with that. Yeah, beautifully said. Less, less violence on the inside around mm -hmm. all of that. Yeah. I want to ask you too, you said that you sort of integrate the work that reconnects even in situations where you might not be calling it that. And you carry so many wonderful threads of healing in your work. I wonder if you want to share anything about your work with plant medicine and ritual or, or anything else that you're doing that you feel is a part of your role in the great turning. Yeah. So, um, and I can easily tie with, say, for example, the 10-day merchants. There's a strong component of ritual throughout, especially when it comes to grieving, <clears throat> but also in deep time work um, and in rela uh, directly relating to the earth. Uh, so I, I found that ritual, for me anyways, it's, it's kind of like an approach, a user-friendly approach, it can be, to kind of like orient ourselves more compassionately, as we were saying, more mindfully um, with myself and with my relations, basically, and with the mystery, mystery that underlies everything. So kind of like a pause there to um, or reorient myself, gather myself, find my ground, connect with my center, and um, to then maybe open up dialogues with the other than human world, for example. And um, then the whole paradigm kind of shifts into one of more uh, relationality, more into subject to subject connections and more that um, family ancestry opens up there in terms of, you know, all species are kind of our ancestors because basically they just came before us. and. By virtue of that, they may have something to um, teach us. Mm -hmm. How are we going to learn from them? Well, one of the ways that we can connect at that level is by way of ritual. And, um, and community rituals and also rituals that involve maybe communing with other um, plant species. And so this, um, especially the third dimension of the great turning, the shifts in consciousness can miraculously apparently be facilitated by the communion with the other than human world. Mm -hmm. And so um, I've been, it's been in my mind more and more lately that um, that is right there that um, maybe the sense of direction and, and a viable future lies because if we decenter the conversation as to um, we are going to save the world, which I think is just hubris, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, we connect with deep reservoirs of creativity that we didn't even know they were there. And maybe the way forward is going to come from those places. 
And so for me, it's uh, essential to then cultivate um, the, I guess, the entryway or how to access those, those places in a way that is respectful, in a way that is um, honoring maybe if, it's, if it, that particular practice from, comes from a specific cultural lineage or, or if it's something new and emerging and integration. And so I, I do find that um, at a personal note, those types of practices have been with me since, um, yeah, since my early teens. So they've been informing who I'm becoming, I guess, and, and what I aim to share with the world. And also, I, I do believe that um, they can be of benefit to, um, for a lot of people um, if, if they're navigated in a, in a good way. And so to bring it just more to a concrete level with the uh, grieving rituals that we do in the second phase of the spiral of honoring our pain, often people, we enter into this, what we would call maybe a non-ordinary state of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And um, then we open up to other intelligences and, and it's just so amazing and it's an honor to be part of that. And um, yeah, it's, it's, I think, so helpful, so healing and so um, needed in our time. Yeah. Mm. Yes, I'm so glad you said all of that. I feel it. I feel it reverberating in me that reminder that there's so much wisdom and creativity and insight there in collaboration with us as humans Yeah, that uh, we're not supposed to just figure this out with our human brains <laughs> all on our own. And so, yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I, I'm taking that to heart. Before we wrap up, is there anything else on your mind that you would want to share? And also specifically, do you have anything that if someone has been listening and they're feeling inspired or curious, something they might try even in the next few minutes? Yes, absolutely. So the first thing that I, I want to highlight from what we've been sharing is even in, in communities so devoted to the to the welfare of the common good or the earth and the earth community um, we often fall from my perspective in this trap of we are the ones that are going to save the situation like a good hero and um, there's something to that for sure and there's a dimension there that often goes beyond our radar which is if that's the case then our efforts need to be informed by the other than human and the mystery that surrounds and nourishes everything because if we get stuck in like you were saying it needs to come from us and we need to figure it out i think that's just contributing to the problem from a place of self-inflation. And I, um, it's something I, I, I think for some of us difficult to get a hold of, but it's so much easier to actually experience it. So um, having said that, there's something we can very 
simply do um, in terms of an ex a practical experience, experiential thing that it's seemingly simple, but um, profoundly can be profoundly transformational. It is uh, the practice of gratitude amidst it all. The practice of gratitude when, um, when I wake up before eating, especially if I speak my gratitude out loud. And so it may be deceivingly simple as I was saying, but for example, in order to next time that you find yourself in, uh, in a hike or outdoors or in your garden or somewhere, um, there is an amazing place to speak your gratitude out loud. And then we can notice in our bodies, in our minds, how that feels and how that may be the, um, the beginning of an amazing conversation that can take place right there with ourselves and with the other than human. Because I take gratitude to be kind of like uh, a, the royal path of transformation, but not only that, the main uh, relational etiquette principle to deal with the other than human, also with the human and with life itself. So that's an invitation that I have there and um, that it, it's almost never enough um, to offer gratitude for the gift of life, you know, because it's just such an amazing um, privilege and opportunity to be here in the midst of all, it all. Um, that one of the most beautiful things that we can offer to life and to our friends and families and our hearts to be grateful. Um, so that's, that's something that just came to mind. Wonderful. I'm grateful, sincerely grateful for that. I, I think you spoke to it so beautifully and it's a simple thing to do, but profound. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you so, so much for your time. I feel fed and lit up by getting to hear from you and how you're relating to this time and other humans and non-humans. So what is the best way for people to stay in touch with you or find you online if they want to learn more about what you do or work with you? Yeah, thank you. Um, I have a personal website there that it's called living-flames.com. Um, and both in English and Spanish. And um, yeah, if people go there, they can find, I think, a few resources and a couple of other websites are there. One especially about the work that reconnects in Spanish. And um, yeah, there's, there's some goodness there. And uh, I, I really feel grateful too for the opportunity to chat with you. And I, I appreciate what you do. And I'm looking forward to see what arises here. Mm. Thank you. All right. Check the show notes, everyone. I'll have a link there for living-flames.com. And thank you again so much, Adrian. Thank you. Pleasure. And gratitude to you for listening. I love how Adrian spoke about gratitude there at the end. For all of the practices I've learned in my life and practiced consistently or inconsistently for various lengths of time, 
naming what I'm grateful for upon waking in the morning and before I fall asleep at night is the one practice I have stayed consistent with every day for years. So I'm all in favor of his suggestion that this is a simple, profound practice to explore. Leave a comment on the show notes at turningseason.com slash episode 12 about your own explorations with gratitude or anything else at all on your mind after listening, or reach out to me through the contact form on turningseason.com or on social media. I look forward to hearing from you and to being back with your next episodes with Morgan Star Reistus and with Megan Westgate on the next two full moons. Until then, thank you for listening and for all the ways you play your part.